The Career Establishment's Talent Talk Asia podcast is brought to you in partnership with Vincere, the all-in-one CRM for ambitious recruitment businesses. Founded by Asia-based recruiters back in 2012, over a thousand recruitment companies choose Vincere to accelerate their growth. Whether your business is contract, temp, executive search or perm, if you're looking for a new breed of tech partner, talk to Vincere. Visit vincere.com io forward slash talent talk asia for an exclusive offer for all listeners of this podcast hi i'm andrea ross your host and in this series we feature some of the most successful talents from across the region to discuss the forces opportunities and challenges that are shaping the corporate landscape if you're keen to be a guest on the show then please reach out hello jaya Hi, Andrea. How are you? Good, good. I've just been sitting in a room for the last five minutes listening to Jaya next door doing a leadership talk. So um, thank you for taking the time today to speak to me. Um, Jaya is the managing director for the global recruitment firm Randstad and the MD of Singapore and Malaysia. So thank you so much for your time today. Now, you've been with Randstad for over 11 years. That's right. You started as a junior little bunny rabbit recruiter. Correct. And now you're running the show. Somewhat, yes. <laughs> <laughs> what's, kept, what's kept you turning up every day? Wow. Um, well, I, I'm literally starting my 12th year this month. Uh, wow. Honestly, well in some sense, uh, I think this is what older people all say. They, they don't <laughs> feel the time go past. I don't. Um, I think partly because a lot of the people who started in the business with me are still here. Wow, that is um, impressive. That is definitely a bit of a rarity, isn't it? It is. It is. Um, and so you don't feel the sense of time when you see the same things. It's not. Mm. It's like not watching the weather change or something. Mm. It stays constant. Mm. The other thing is, if you look at it in the broader context of the Randstad family, uh, my counterparts have been in the business 19, 22, 23 years and so on. Wow. So when I'm in the global context, either in Amsterdam or one of the other countries and there's a training running or something, and people go around the room and introduce themselves, I'm literally one of the youngest person, <laughs> both in age as well as tenure. Oh, but that feels pretty good. Uh, I suppose in some sense, yeah. <laughs> but they also then look at you and go, you've got a long way to go. <laughs> so I go, yeah. 12 years is not enough. I said, sure, okay. Um, you've only just started. Exactly. And then there's the Asian context to it. Um, I mm. think in Asia, people tend to move jobs every three to five years mm. easily. Mm. Three years is a long tenure. Five is unheard of in some yeah. instances. Do you feel people feel they have to move on, even if they exactly. were quite happy, happy? Yeah. It's the rate of change and the lack of, I would say, history to some extent. If you look at it in the Western counterpart world, uh, they've been set up for a lot longer. Organizations have been around for a lot longer. Uh, so tenure is expected in the scale of things. Yeah. Uh, but if you look at it on this side, tenure feels like as if you are ancient, somewhat of a fossil. <laughs> uh, so it's it's a very interesting dynamic when I listen to that what that year means here. Yeah. And what twelve years means when I'm on the other side of the, of the pond. <laughs> so it's uh, yeah. So, so what did you start off recruiting initially? Then how did your career Ooh. kind of go on? Run, run, run us through all that. Uh, sure, sure. I am a product not of my choosing, but of someone's <laughs> making, uh, which is how I ended up in recruitment, like ninety nine other people do. Uh, yeah. The, the career job found you rather than you did. Yeah. So I cannot be credited for any intelligent decision making whatsoever uh, in the beginning. <laughs> so I joined the business before we became Randstad. Uh, we're okay. a previous parent company under video and in the local operations, it was called Select, a staffing business. Right, okay. Uh, very Australian driven. 
Okay. Uh, and I knew the brand because uh, I was clients of staffing when I used to work in Australia and used them to fill jobs oh. as an agency. So when uh, I came uh, came back to Singapore to work, I was looking for work and that's how I found the agency. And the consultant then said, would you come across? Uh, and I said, sure, why not? Uh, and I started in the accounting and finance field because my oh, original okay. degree was in finance. In uh, banking and finance? So accounting uh, yes. and finance were financial services? Uh, well, accounting and finance. And yeah. then after that, I continued with my master's in, in, finance, in finance as well. Oh. Uh, so as a result, she went, this makes the most sense. Mm-hmm. And the consultant I had met with, I was trying to get back to my route and said, let's try something back in finance again. Uh, and she said, why don't you start with me uh, in, this, in the team? Yeah. And I had a already varied enough background in, in banking and uh, and finance and in and marketing and a few other things other than HR. So I went, great, add HR to the mix then. And so I said, look, I don't know anything about HR. And she said, oh, it's recruitment's not actually HR. She said, it's all of the other things. And trust me when I say, you know, your CV looks right and you'll be good at it. Um, and it took some convincing. And then she said, look, I need someone to come in for a maternity coverage. Uh, so she said, why don't you come in? We'll extend your probation to four months. Yep. At the end of the fourth month, I will be back. And if you don't like it, you can leave. And it's it's a week's notice. And so I figured it was sort of a win-win situation. And I went, why not? Let's do this. So the first five or six months was spent in accounting. What was interesting about it is as soon as I joined, within the next month, the uh, financial crisis of 2008 started. Oh, yes. Yep. So, worst industry to be in. <laughs> well, I don't know. It, it, it certainly didn't do you any harm at all. No. Uh, what it was really good for was practice. Uh, mm. I got the chance to sort of sit back and learn it and do it without having the pressure of needing to have the results. Mm. It was a global standard that no one was going to bill for a bit. It was expected. Right. Every company was okay. retrenching. So, there's no headcount to fill. Yeah. Uh, so, but we still did the activity behind the scenes, the calls, the meetings, yeah. the interviews. Yeah. Uh, the building those relationships, yes. right. Yeah. yeah, just prospecting continuously for five or six months. Uh, and then at the end of that six-month period, at the end of 2008, uh, we got information that Ransett had acquired the company. Right. Uh, and so, the, the colleague who had put me in the role at that point, she was back from maternity leave. And within the leadership team, they said... Chair, we've been bought over from Randstad and this is what's going to happen. I never heard of the brand before, didn't know anything about them. And then said, European company, you're pretty sizable. Why not? Let's stick around. Yeah. Uh, besides, nobody else was going to have me. It was a recession market. <laughs> as long as you're not cutting my head, I'll stick around, right? Uh, there was a base salary and it paid the bills. Uh, didn't have the taste or an understanding of commissions even vaguely at that point, six months into it. Uh, so I stuck around and then transitioned into uh, the staffing team. Okay. Uh, so staffing is basically pretty much you recruit every green astronaut under the sun for right. anything. Right. Uh, the client relationship matters more than the job type. So you don't mm-hmm. you're not specialized. You sort of recruit you know eight, ty- nine, ten different candidate types or buckets or pools or specializations if you like. And then we got into it. Uh, and so in the first four years, I pretty much covered I would say a little bit of. Um, Occasionally, I would have a, a technology role, okay. a, a banking role here and there, but yeah. the majority was in sales and marketing, FMCG, okay. retail, uh, supply chain, Gosh, uh, office generalist. support, HR, right. real generous. Yeah. Uh, and at the height of that staffing period, I think we were a team size of about 25. Okay. Uh, covering these four specializations, and uh, yeah, and I had about twenty-two of the of the twenty-five reporting into me. Okay. Uh, and that was after four and a half years of doing staffing. Wow. Gosh. Okay. Um, 
So there was a lot of responsibility at quite early on, actually, uh, quite early on. Actually, it's quite typical of most people's careers. I think if you start in staffing, you have a mixed bag. Yeah. Uh, and you sort of have really good key relationships that you either inherit from, from mm. global or you build them yourself locally. Yeah. Uh, and it's just literally putting bums on seats to some yeah. extent. Yeah. Right? So you just do the volume and you do call center and retail and all of that. Yeah. It just comes with the flow. Yeah. Uh, strategically at that point, Randstad then evaluated at the back end of 2012 to decide where we were. And went, we needed to go down the professional's journey. Mm. Uh, so we actually shut staffing down. So my whole team mm. got restructured. Mm. Uh, and then we retained the majority of the people. We sort of repurposed them into specializations and then okay. trained. Uh, some areas we had to cut where we had mm. sort of key accounts and people who were designated to those accounts that we weren't going to continue with. Right. Uh, and so we had a little bit of uh, attrition that we needed to kind of let go. Mm. Uh, but we gave them the choice to move and they didn't choose to do specialized recruitment either. Right. Then so, the so professional journey, worked yeah, worked out, started from there from 2013. That's 2013, right. 2013 until okay. today. Okay. So the, the business that we, we that I run in Singapore mm-hmm. uh, is somewhat, I would say, in Series C funding of a startup phase of an organization. So while you look at our history and our brochure mm. and it says we've been in the market 23 years mm. and, you know, Rancid as a company since 1960, this operation as you see it is six years old. Yeah. So it's a very, very different journey from within. So I often joke yeah. with my counterparts and said, I'm a startup, manager expectations. Yeah, yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, but it, it is what it is. Uh, but our rate mm. of growth, if I had to boast a little for a few minutes, I would say Go ahead. we've done in six years what some of our competitors took 15, 20 years building organically. That's not to say that they wouldn't have done it in the same speed under the same circumstances. So what do you, so what do you think was the strategy behind that? Do everything faster and quicker. Mm. Okay. <laughs> and I use those two words deliberately because faster is about speed. Mm-hmm. Quicker is about efficiency. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you, you start to kind of mimic it. And then the, the good news about walking down a path that other people have been on, you've watched them over a long period. So it's like watching a stock over 15 years. Mm-hmm. You know what the peaks and the troughs are like. Yeah. And then you kind of interview people in the market and work out what they've got right and what they've got wrong. Yeah. And then you kind of go, okay, if we're going to do this, how are we going to do it? So right? you look at it in a completely different yeah, way. Completely you're, you're, different way. You're a pretty diverse bunch. I mean, the times that I've spent mm. with you guys, you you know, you are very diverse. Has that been kind of a deliberate strategy on your side? Somewhat. Uh, I think there is a an element of uh, a focus on diversity and inclusion. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got 48% female leadership in Randstad in general. So what was the percentage? 48%. Wow. Okay. Yeah. We're proud that. of it. Yeah. Uh, it's something we drive uh, internally. And I would say our male audience in the business is very pro-female diversity. Talk me through that. Uh, how, you're, so, how you're going about that. So I, I think it's a stat we actually measure. Like we actually look at that KPI and we, we see it. Uh, I don't think we set out to look at what we call diversity hires. And you tend to see mm-hmm. this a little bit in markets like the US mm-hmm. where they go, oh, for that role, we need to get a minority race and mm-hmm. a female. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's no mer- merit attached to it. Uh, but if you think about how you drive diversity, it doesn't happen overnight at the point of decision making. Mm. Yeah. It has to be something you put in play. So if you were to look at a leadership team, for example, at any point and you go, it's very male heavy uh, and it doesn't have enough diversity from either race or age or background, mm. you then start to go, we need to create that in three years time. Where do we start today? Mm. And so it ha- it's it's a visual cue. Unfortunately, you, you look at yes. it and you see yes, what a room very much looks so. like. Right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, And then you go backwards and you start to say, look at all the high potentials in the room or the, mm. the ones who are capable of it. Mm. And let's start doing something about it. Mm. Um, and if you think about what the concept of diversity is, unfortunately, it's very fashionable. It's a theme and a flavor at some point that people yeah. try and drive. But it can be a bit of a PR exercise, it but is. in reality, it's it is. just a bit... 
And then if you listen to the conversations in the room and no one's taping them, people mm. will say things like, oh, we need to put a woman on the board just to show that we're, we're, we're yeah. doing it. Yeah, not the uh, fact that it could actually no. drive productivity, for instance. Yeah. Oh. And could you get yeah. somebody, you know, someone's wife, you know, yeah. if she was dying and, and sitting in a wheelchair, all the better <laughs> still. That's the mindset, right? So yeah. that we cover it off, but yeah. then she's not going to inconvenience us <laughs> in the way we do things. And so it's, there, there's, a, there's an element of that yeah. that goes on. And that's the extreme side of the funnel. Mm. And then on this side of it, people do buy into the stats that it, it has, has creativity. And when you have diversity, your profits go up. The ratios are all there. Mm-hmm. But if you really bring it down to what diversity is, if you look at any population in history, the minute it is homogenous, it becomes extinct. Mm. Mm. Because you do not diversify your risks. You don't find Absolutely. a way to keep the population going. Yeah. Just look at history. Yeah. And it will tell you that all yeah. kingdoms which are homogenous don't yeah. last. Yeah. Absolutely. Any society that becomes heterogeneous basically at the end of the day has a higher productivity rate of, of reproducing and keeping it alive. Yeah. And the gene pool continues. Yeah. And organizations' diversity is exactly that. You've I, got ideas and survival coming from you at every corner. Yeah, I mean, I think within the recruitment industry, it always surprises me that there are there's definitely a high majority of females within recruitment mm-hmm. and they they generally rise till around AD director maybe in mm. some of the larger recruitment firms but they very rarely make MD you mm. know if I'm to look at the top major players within Singapore they're all guys a lot mm. of white guys actually mm. um, so that's why it was such a it is such an honour to be sitting here with someone that is Asian that is female um, that um and and running and running a couple of offices for Randstad. So, talk me through why you think they're not the females are not getting to that MD mm. post. And I appreciate it's a bit of a pyramid as well. But what what why are they stopping at that level? Uh, first of all, thank you for the compliment, Andrea. Uh, <laughs> Welcome. Jokes aside, when uh, I got the country manager gig, mm. I was too IC in my then boss, uh, Michael Smith, who's very well established in yeah. the region. And, I like Michael a lot. Yeah, He's a great guy. Yeah, exactly. Uh, one of the best bosses I've ever worked for and probably will be for the rest of my life, I reckon. Nice. Uh, but uh, he, he's moved across to our Amsterdam operations mm. since running the show on the other side yeah. and on a much bigger remit. Uh, but when he moved up and he got promoted, um, he then said he wanted me to take on the portfolio. Right. I wasn't ready. The first conversation I said to him, I said, look, this is not even part of my Interesting. plan. Interesting. You said you weren't ready. Nope. And you'd been there straight. since a junior recruiter well, and probably done more in four or five years than most people would have done. But you said you weren't ready. Um, because I'd only been a director in the business running uh, three three business lines at that point for eight months. So my previous promotion was too new, if you like. Mm -hmm. And I hadn't done what I'd set out to do. I didn't even have a full calendar year of completing a budget for one of the divisions I'd inherited. But do you think a guy would have said, I'm not ready? Maybe. I don't know. Mm. Yeah. So I said, look, you know, this is where I'm at. And I said, said, I'm not even asking you for this job. I'm not even sure if if I'm cut out (laughs) to be a country manager. And I said, not to be the way you are. And I said, I'm nothing like you. So he said, Mm. you don't have to be. Yeah. And I went, yes, but still, again, there's a readiness mm. factor. Mm. Uh, so we talked a lot about it and he was actually quite cross with me for not being more grateful or happy that I'd gotten the job or that it was being given. And then so we kept having this dance between us where he'd ask me, why do you think I'm giving it to you? Mm. I want you to own this or, or mm. agree to it. Mm. And then I said, look, there's only one reason why I think I deserve the job better than someone else outside who actually might do a better job 
in the actual role in terms of performance or knowing mm. what to do with it or taking it to the next level. I'm pretty certain there's a whole bunch of more qualified people than me in the market if you actually went to market and tried to recruit for this role. In other words, I'm in the mix. Mm -hmm. So are external candidates if you open the position up either within the, the Randstad world or outside. And so he said then, he said then, justify it and tell me why I shouldn't. And he said, well, Good. you're not. I know. I said, but still. I said, there's one factor that I have that other people won't. And he said, what? And I said, I've grown up in the street. I'm the street kid. I know everybody <laughs> in this neighborhood down it. I said, there isn't a thing this in this room. This is my manner. Yeah. I said, I would know every furniture, every doorknob, every paint color in this <laughs> office because I grew up with it. So I said, then comes the word that comes with it, which is care. Yeah. I said, nobody would care about this operation more than me. I would mm. bleed for this. I said, because you go the extra mile. Yeah, it's yeah. our people. I said, I'm the street kid. Mm. It's my neighborhood. I just so, love how you said how you described that. That's awesome. But you are true. the street kid. I literally am. <laughs> yeah. So one end to the other end of the office, I know that street. Yeah. I know all the lampposts and the street lights and everything that goes in there. So I just said to him, in that respect, I said, if you bring somebody from the outside, they may not preserve what's on the inside mm. of it. Mm. And sometimes too diverse a view is is very contrasting for people. So I mm. said, I am a security blanket. Mm. So that works well. Mm. So when I stepped into it and people were asking and said, oh, congratulations on the promotion, I cracked a joke about it and said, actually, I'm the diversity hire. <laughs> so I said, female, single, non-white. I said, you get where this is going. Uh, so they all laughed and I said, that's the only reason I got the job. Uh, so I said, by default. I said, I didn't earn it. So don't go around giving me credit yet. I said, give me a year and a half once we've got the numbers and then give it to me afterwards. But that's interesting that, that you feel that you have to, I think, that you felt that you weren't ready for that role? I wasn't. I really wasn't. I didn't own it till about maybe a year into the job, uh, in the true sense. I still acted like I was Michael's guardian, uh, like yeah. I was babysitting this for yeah. someone and uh, trying to not decide whether I wanted it, trying to even decide if there was a fit between me and the job. Yeah. Uh, but what kept me in the game is I said, I care enough to not screw this up. Yeah, get uh, that. I don't, I don't want to look at you and say, sorry, I failed you. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's, and that's what gets you up in the morning. Yeah. And yeah. then there was the weird thing. All of a sudden, this diversity thing was actually more serious. Mm. There were people in the business who were writing me emails and saying things like, I am so proud that it's you. Wow. And I was really shocked because yeah. I, you didn't I didn't realize the impact. I didn't look, I don't look at myself that way in the mirror. When yeah. I look in the mirror, I don't see female. You see the street kid, right? No. Yeah. So <laughs> I went, really? I said, this, this representation means something? Yeah. And absolutely. then they went, it does. Yeah. And then I went, okay. So I went, this, this, this means something more to people than I thought it does. Yeah, and not just the diversity side, but also thinking, also the fact that you've come from, you've come mm. up through the ranks. Yeah. You know, you haven't just been flown in no. externally from, a, from another organization no. and, you know, going to make these major changes. You know exactly what's, what's yes. been going on. Yeah. So we, as human beings, we all tend to idealize. It's, it's our DNA. We're, we're designed mm. that way. We mm. want to pick a natural leader. We need to look skywards and up north to mm. have something to put on a pedestal and say that that's where we're working ourselves to. Mm. We're designed that way. Mm. Without a goal, without a future hope or a faith, something dies inside, mm. right? Yeah. So it's, it's in our nature to put something in a pedestal. Yeah. So if you then think about where the modern world is, diversity actually means for people that if that person can do it, I can do it. Yeah. Right? Then the second one is um, you think like me and I think differently from who's on top at the moment. <clears throat> so representation is, is about survival mm -hmm. as well. Because mm. if, if I have a voice through you, mm. then I'm going to stick around. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Then the third element of diversity is people want to be kept interested. They want to know whether there's a different way of doing something. 
Mm. And that's what diversity brings. It, it mm. kills boredom. Absolutely. Right? You're not yeah. a foregone conclusion. Different perspectives. Can't, yeah. Yeah. Can't close my eyes and predict where this is going. Mm-hmm. So if you think about competition, back to the concept of survival again, mm. anything that can be predicted can be outmoded. Mm. can be copied mm. and can be simulated and can be done better. Mm. But if it cannot because it is too diverse, it's too variant, it's it's evolving while you speak, mm. it's difficult to mimic you. It's difficult so, to catch up. Gosh, that's interesting. So this is your this is Randstad's secret weapon then, isn't it? I think so. Mm. It's evolution. Yeah. And because we build it from within, we don't have a concept of we need to replicate this all the time to look like this. We let it evolve internally to what mm. it becomes. Mm. More, so more authentic. Yeah. Yeah. Propagation of the yeah. species. Yeah. So it's like watching a colony of ants or bees or whatever. You see yeah. them all sort of work. Yeah. And you can't tell what the finished product looks like. No. And a beehive's like that. You can't taste what the honey's going to be like. No. Right? It depends it's on the quality be damn of the bees. It's going to be good though, isn't it? Yeah. The activities, whatever. Yeah. But it's organic. Mm. I like that. Now that word gets a lot of money these days. Yeah. <laughs> Something's <laughs> organic and you price it up times six, right? But yeah. what, have, what, what have you been doing that, um, whether it's training or um, that has encouraged more diversity within your organization or at least upskilling? Um, yeah. So if you look at the animal kingdom, what you do is you look at all the different species and you work out the strength of each species, mm-hmm. right? You watch National Geographic for something mm. like that. And you go, this lizard's got these blue stripes on its back <laughs> and therefore it can spurt some venom that can kill 10 snakes. Then you go, oh, cool. That's really nice. <laughs> Uh, and you don't say, why doesn't the lizard look like the parrot? Yeah. You just leave the lizard be for what it is, <laughs> right? And then you utilize it for what it is. Yeah. Human beings are the same. We we mm. try and actually look quite homogenous on the outside, mm. but we're not. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you look to history and you read old-fashioned literature, Jane Austen and all these yeah. guys, they diversify all the characters and they talk about the place and, and that everybody has their own place and their own thing to bring to the table. Mm. If you hold that concept, mm. then you are able to uh, elevate everybody to their best. Mm. But you're not trying to make somebody become somebody else. Mm. Mike never once said to me, I need you to be me. Yeah. He never once said yeah. to me, I, you, I need you to run the business like the way I do. Yeah. Agree with me, disagree with me. Fight with me, don't fight with me. Doesn't mm. matter. But make it your own. So and you didn't feel you had to act differently then in any way? Uh, no, no. I no. put the pressure on myself though. He didn't. Mm, I did. Him. I well, thought I had to be him to get it right. Yeah. And I did. I copied everything he did in the beginning. Yeah. I didn't have the guts to change it. Until you find your own. So, so how did you find your own style? What was no that one journey? was forcing me to be anything else. And how did you go about doing that? Finding it. Mm-hmm. Uh, time. I think you can't shot. There's no, there's no shortcut to time. Mm-hmm. Uh, things evolve. So if you watch it after a while, it does. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think also people leaving you alone, letting you be in the fish tank in your own habitat. They don't try and so keep learning fixing from it. your own mistakes. Yes. And, okay. Nobody ever in the leadership team outside of my spectrum called me and said, "I need you to do this the way Mike did it." Okay. In fact, it was the opposite. Find your way. Said, do it your way. Yeah. Figure it out. Right. Did you? Yeah. Would you say that there was someone in your life that, other than Mike, that would have you know mentored you? Oh, or, heaps. Yeah. The Randstad family. That that's uh, something I can't. You can't buy with money, Andrea. Right. Uh, the people in here, because they all received it. They all paid forward. Right, this is what's happening. It's the paying yeah. forward. Okay. Yeah, they all paid forward. So when I got okay. into the job, a million people rallied. Um, when amazing. I say that, it's I don't mean it in the context of the numbers. No, but they do. 
but that's that's what they're like internally. It's like yeah. I said, it's the bees and the honeys. Yeah, not an easy ants, thing yeah. to walk away no. from then, is it? Yeah, they all rock yeah. up and said, okay, what can we do for you? That's amazing. Right? Yeah. Do you feel that you also need to be, you know, reading like, I mean, I know when I first got made, when I got made, not first made MD, when I was, was an MD, I'd be reading loads of self-help books mm. and podcasts and yeah. trying to be frantically trying to learn yes. everything yeah. quickly. Yes. Um, because I think you always have that kind of imposter syndrome, you know, Correct. that I'll get found out soon that they've yes. given it to the wrong yeah. person. So did you also go through that kind of process? Mm. I don't think anyone ever escapes the imposter syndrome. The biggest fear you worry is about you get up tomorrow morning and you are no longer relevant or you're no longer successful or you no longer how to know how to keep things working. So I think how are everybody you, how gets you, it. Yeah, how are you um, making yourself relevant? The um, the books reading thing, the, mm. the self-help, the improvement mm. piece, what people try and do is they try and get a framework from the outside mm. and then they try and get the data that's that they have on the inside Mm. And they try and fit it into that framework so it becomes information. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's a rite of passage. You can't skip it. Mm. Uh, and then you borrow from the outside. You take mm. whatever other people give you and you put it into that larger framework. Mm. Every person has to do those steps. Mm. So once you make sense of it mm. and then you connect it to your emotions, mm. you find the middle ground between how you think about something and how you feel about something. Mm. And then comes your constitution. Every leader has their own constitution for what they are capable of and how they prefer to do things. Mm -hmm. You cannot escape your constitution. Mm -hmm. You are who you are. Mm -hmm. And so fitting that framework to your constitution then becomes the that that little, you know, spot in the middle between three mm -hmm. circles mm -hmm. where you kind of hibernate and you're on your own species. Yeah. And then you shine. And yeah. that's true of every leader. You have to find that middle spot. Talent Talk Asia is brought to you in partnership with Vincere, the all-in-one CRM for ambitious recruitment businesses. Visit vincere.io forward slash Talent Talk Asia for an exclusive offer for all listeners of this podcast. If I went into your office now, walked, mm. walked on the floor and, and asked a couple of your um, staff, mm what kind of leader is Jaya? How mm. do you think they would respond? Uh, on the good side, somebody would tell you that I'm very caring. I take into account mm -hmm. the people before I make a decision. Mm -hmm. On the bad side, somebody will say, Jaya is very passionate and emotional about everything she does. <laughs> so you you cannot separate me from my emotions. It's kind of the same thing, isn't it? It is. It is. And I yeah. struggled with that for a long time because yeah. female leaders are touted to be emotional. Yeah, and you're meant to park it's, it and not quite show frustrating. it. Yeah, yeah, and put it in a box, and it's got no place in the corporate world. Yeah, uh, but I think the millennial generation has somewhat freed me. Yeah. They're not shy. Talk me through that. Yeah, they're not shy at all to be who they are. No, they don't make excuses for it. They yeah. tell you how they feel. It's in your face. Take mm -hmm. it or leave it. Mm -hmm. uh, and I am not guilty for it. Uh, that's how they they label it, right? Yeah. I feel like quitting my job tomorrow because I want to spend three months on myself. Mm. I am not going to guilt talk myself. Mm -hmm. I'm going to quit whether you like it or not, whether mm. anyone approves or not. Mm. And I don't care that I don't yeah. have a plan for month four. I will <laughs> yeah. figure it out when I get to month four. <laughs> so this this freedom is 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 really quite liberating. So that's, right? do you think that's, that shifted your leadership oh, style God, then? Yes. From yeah, because I, I lead a bunch of millennials. Yeah, right. Right. Recruitment has a whole bunch of new people who come into it. Yeah, all young in their careers. So. I'm in, obviously you've got millennials, but you've also got all the other yes. generation. Oh, I, I get really confused. The boom, baby, yeah, I've, baby boomers, Gen Y, and the Gen so, X, so, and all of that. So how, yeah. so how are you managing all of that? Uh, everybody has different needs, mm. and so people, the Generation X, which is mine, and the oldest, 
uh, where the oldest. Up, the, yeah, the oldest, whatever that <laughs> it's is. It's like a Lion King yes, movie or something, is, isn't it? it? Is, yeah. <laughs> and the oldest will shift, right, as you get older in the yeah. generations. Yeah. Uh, whatever that is, whatever generation you label it as, we're all brought up in a time period through the war where you're meant to be, uh, and post-war, you're meant to be grateful for what you're given. Mm. You're meant to be mm. grateful that you have a job. And therefore, you are a slave to it for the rest of your life. Yeah. And you have this guilt syndrome between how much holiday time you take, how much yeah. time you spend with your kids, yeah. uh, and whether you're allowed to take a longer lunch and get your hair cut at four o'clock and so on and so forth. Yeah. And as a result, you tend to find it difficult to be open and honest about what you want. You're passive aggressive about mm, it. Mm. So, but at the same time, they go through different things. So the millennial generation does it the other way around. You have to think of them as not employees, but cons- customers, consumers. Mm. So the modern EVP is if your employee was your customer, mm. would they buy you? Mm. And then would they continue to buy you? Yeah. And would they be loyal to you on a supermarket shelf of potato chips? Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. So what do we all do? We walk to the same supermarket shelf. We go to the yeah. same supermarket most yeah. of the time. Yeah. You go to the same shelf, but you pick a different brand. Yeah. And then you go, I try something else. Yeah. And then after a while, you might come back and say, actually, this one's the best. Yeah. And you stick with it. Right? Yeah. Uh, and so everybody's got different needs and mm. you kind of need to know how they're going to purchase on mm. that supermarket shelf. Mm. Give them what they need. Mm. So for my older employees, they are at a stage where stability is important. Job yeah. security is important. Yeah. Growth is important. But within parameters of what I can handle while I bring out my kids, while I pay my mortgage, while yeah. I take care of my old parents. Yeah. While I know that I, I'm not the geekiest person on the computer with all the latest apps. Yeah. I get it. Yeah. So please don't make me feel uncomfortable for being me. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Where do you meet Absolutely. me halfway? Yeah. Uh, and so what you give them is a different kind of flexibility, a different mm. kind of support, mm. a guarantee that I've got your plan for the next three to five years sorted, mm. right? Yeah. With the younger guys, don't tell them what you want them to do in six years. Mm. You are killing them. <laughs> They'll be like, I don't want to know what I'm doing ahead. in six years. Let me discover it. <laughs> Give me to the end of the week. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Let me have some fun in the process of discovering what it is before yeah. I decide my goal. Yeah. At the same time, don't punish me for wanting to live my life while I'm mm. at it. Yeah. Right? Give me the flexibility. Yeah. I want to travel next month, not because I'm burnt out, not because I don't know what else to do. Yeah. Not because you've asked me to take a hike, but I just want to travel next month. Yeah. Can I get a month off work and still come back to my job? Yeah. Go, yeah, absolutely. Go figure yourself out. Have you out. done that with here? Have you had the great? Gotcha. Yeah. Absolutely. Wow. Yeah. Go away, figure it out, come back. But they're parameters. Yeah. Right? They're rules. And rules are not rules because the organization needs the rules. The rules are what is fair to other people. Yeah. Yeah. House rules are meant for people, not mm. for the brick and mortar walls, not for the mm. tables and chairs, not for some document that HR created in the shared mm. drive. When have you felt that yeah. you've perhaps made a decision when it comes to the people that you've kind of regretted? Ooh, mm, many. Uh, Which one stands out for you? Yeah, you one. One in particular. Uh, that was maybe specifically eight or seven years ago. It's either 2011 or 2012. Mm -hmm. I'm going to bet 2011, maybe, Mm -hmm. I think. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was a fairly new manager. I'd been in the job for about a year and a half managing a team size, a decent team size. I had about 15, I think, eight to 10 in in permanent sort of side and then another five in the contracting team. Uh, And we had a character in the team uh, who moved teams from somewhere else within the organization. Mm -hmm. Now, this individual had a very interesting socialization policy. (laughs) <laughs> this person wasn't quite happy with their personal life, wasn't in a relationship, right. Right. didn't really have friends outside of work. Right. And they had quite a loud personality. And right. they were sort of, you know, people like to watch this person and how this person played things out. Right. 
Uh, and they had some identity crisis. That's how far I will go with explaining okay. what I mean by identity crisis. Yeah. They were discovering themselves. <laughs> but it was everybody else's problem while they were doing that. Oh, okay. So they were the uh, social bully, the cheerleader of the team, if you like. Okay. And this individual dominated the rest right. in the team. To the point is this individual would decide who was going to do overtime, what they were going to eat for dinner if they were sticking around. And there was wow. this, some sort of a, a game playing that went on, a safari of sorts. Right. So it was a bit toxic. It was a little yeah. bit. And then yeah. th this person had a say in how somebody else did something when somebody else's candidate went on the other person's interview and all this sort of little petty things yeah. that sort of just went and transpired. Yeah. Now, in one sense, when you looked at the team, they were really close knit. They all mm. looked like they were sort of belonged to each mm. other and hung around each other. Now, if you took a magnifying glass to it, there was all sorts of behaviors in there that shouldn't be happening. Right. Now, I sat right behind in a pod to that team. It right. was my team. Right. I did their link-ups. I did their team meetings. And I pretty much, and I had my back to them. So the other team sat in front of me and that's the pod I was in. Throughout the day while I was recruiting and talking to clients and candidates and all of that sort of stuff and doing the operational pieces, one side of my ear was always listening to what they were doing and saying at the back. So I am not innocent in any of this. Far mm. from it. Mm. I knew it the entire time. Mm. Lots of it didn't sit right with me on a mm. gut level. Mm. But I was chicken shit, Andrea. I did nothing about it. Right. So, so you sort of felt conflicted that having that oh, awkward God, yeah. conversation. Totally. Because I was, was it with that yeah. individual, also the, the repercussions that would be on the team. I just didn't want to deal with it. Yeah. So what happened? So this continued. And of course, like all toxic individuals, they build power mm. over time. Mm. The more they can get away with the behavior, the more they continue yeah. with their behavior. Right? Yeah. Because they're feeding off it, I suppose, yes. aren't they? So I was yeah. feeding a baby monster. Oh, God. And this monster was growing in strength and in velocity and everything else you could think of. But I don't think the street kid's going to let that. No, I wasn't quite the street kid. I, I didn't it. know how to protect what was ours. I didn't know okay. how to watch our turf yet. Yeah. And I somehow thought it wasn't my problem. I don't know why. Yeah. But I thought somebody else would solve it for it me. It would also sort itself or out. Yeah. Or maybe that was the line between the management and the team, you know, the us against them, downstairs, upstairs, something along those lines. So what changed? So then this monster became too big for me to handle. Right. In my link-ups, in my one-on-ones, mm. and I was beginning to feel like my authority was being cha cha mm. challenged and I couldn't control this person. And it was getting to the point where it became too unfair for me, too unethical, too something. It began to hurt. It hurt for me, right? Mm. Mm. Maybe it started hurting for other people way before mm. and I didn't recognize it. Yeah. So at that stage, please don't think and make me sound noble at all. I was selfish. Out of irritation and having to mm. manage this person, yeah. I walked up to my boss's room and I said, okay, so-and-so got to go. Yeah, My boss knew and I said, these things mm. were happening and blah, blah, blah. And so we just said, okay, we're wrapping this person up. Interestingly, this person was producing results. They're putting money on the board. Mm. So it's quite difficult for people to get their head around it. Yeah, but it's the behaviors, isn't it? Correct. The, yeah, that yeah. affected, sounds like it affected a oh, lot of yes, people. a lot. Yeah. And so this person walked. So we, we got them out and you know made mm. the move and everything. The next three days, it was, and I did remember it distinctively, we did it on a Wednesday afternoon. Mm. And then Thursday and Friday, I was still sort of reeling from it. It's yeah. like when you've been swimming for too long, you feel like you're still floating yeah. in water. Yeah. <laughs> I had that sense sort of around the desk. Yeah. And I wasn't watching anything. I, didn't, I wasn't paying attention to anyone but myself. Right. And the team was still a little bit shocked that that had happened. Mm. And all of a sudden, there was this vague sort of empty shell of a hole in between because mm. the loudest, most obvious person wasn't yeah. there. Yeah, and the billing one, which yeah. would always shock them. Exactly. Yeah. Now, what happened on Monday was when I got my lesson. Uh, so I came in on Monday mm. and uh, we were deciding to drive something. I think it was for quarter four. We were in quarter three when this happened. Uh, and we said, okay, we're going to put this competition together. Mm. People are going to buddy up and this we're going to do. 
And so we rolled it out. And uh, because of the team dynamic having changed, I moved some seats to a couple of people and moved where I sat as well, mm. just to kind of cover that hole in mm. the middle, so to speak. And then I turned around and I got this bird's eye view and I'll never, ever forget this day, Andrea. I still sometimes sort of tear up and choke up a little. So yeah. pardon me. My no, no, cuts. go for it. Uh, but I turned around and I looked at the room and there were people in, in that group who were previously hardly talking or saying anything, mm. suddenly talking. Wow. Okay. And they were coming out and there were a couple of new starters who'd been in there with that previous individual in the last couple of months. Yeah. But the hierarchy changed. Because mm. they've been bullied, really. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. The bully, the bully had gone from the, pl- yeah. from the playground. Yeah. And, there was, and the light shifted mm. and people started talking and chatting and there was this lightness in the room. And I had to run to the washroom, Andrea. Mm. I needed to shut the door and mm. sob. And I did. If I could have stuck my head in the toilet bowl and flushed so it, what I would was, have. So what, was it? <laughs> so what was it that made you so upset? What, what was I was it? so embarrassed at myself. Right. I was disgusted with myself if I could have crawled out of my skin. Yeah. Because I sat there and I went, "This, you let this go on for months. You are just, you know, just... That was your learning point, courage. though. Yeah. I said, you're a chicken shit leader who's got no guts to do what you need to do. And you are ashamed to the profession and the job because you were not being cool, like a bit a harsh. No, but it is. So how, you think about it. So how did you, how's that changed how you lead and deal with difficult situations now, do you think? No matter how difficult it is, never walk away from it. Face it. Uh, nobody ever feels ready to do anything they don't want to do, mm. but you do it despite. That's mm. the definition of courage. Mm. And if you cannot be courageous, don't you dare lead other people. You Mm. don't have a right to be responsible for other people's lives. Mm. Um, Go to your own. Then your mistakes are yours. Mm. Right? Yeah. But if you become responsible for other people's mistakes, get Mm. your act together, even when you don't feel like it. Yeah. That's the definition of discipline. Yeah. So you always, always need to do this too when you're responsible for other people. You are in service. Absolutely. End of. Absolutely. That's it. So that day, I worked out what I'd done to other people how long they were suffering, how much pain they were in, and how that was my fault. Had I fixed it earlier, they wouldn't mm. have been in that situation. Mm. They didn't need to go through it. And I lost one person, by the way. Did you? Just before that, right. that whole thing. It just well, Before the person had left. Before the person left. And that was my tipping point. And she was bullied right under my nose. Yeah. And I watched it the entire time. Yeah. I, I can't. I can't forgive myself for it. I don't think I ever will. Yeah, you weren't ready. Yeah. For, yeah, so it's just you, you just weren't ready for it then. It's, Didn't know it's what to do with difficult thing. things. Yeah. 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 Uh, and I don't want to forget it because that's like a tattoo. Mm. It's, it's a mm. memory on me, mm. a scar mm. that will always remind me to, mm. you know, muster whatever you require. Yeah, being brave. Yeah. yeah. I, I, brave is a… Or courage. A, having having the courage to… Yeah. yeah. Even then, just, just have yeah. the decency. Yeah. Right, just have the darn decency to do it. Mm. Because if I was at the receiving end in that team, mm. I would have expected my boss to fix it. Mm. So, don't do to other people what you don't want done mm. to yourself. Yeah, no, right? I absolutely get that. Yeah, that kind of leads me on to um, another part, of sort of women's leaders. Leaders, mm. I suppose, is you know, do do you think the world's perception of women leaders is changing for the better? Yeah. I think so. Yeah. I think the younger generation, and I, I am stereotyping somewhat, but I think the younger male generation is more open to female power. Mm. I think they're more accepting of it. They're, they're mm-hmm. willing to look at them on par. Mm-hmm. And I think the stereotyping has disappeared of the female role type. You know, uh, it, it, back in the day, and you would laugh about this, but in order for a woman to get married, you needed to be able to cook and clean and play that part. <laughs> God, I think I better yeah. get a divorce now then. Oh, well. <laughs> 
but there was a lot of it, right? And yeah, if you couldn't absolutely. do these duties or pretend to do these duties, you wouldn't get yeah. taken off the shelf. That's that especially was, within Asia, I think. Yeah, yeah, that's of, yeah. how it starts, yeah. right? And then it goes down the pathway of only a certain type of women will be decide and get married, mm. and then that shifts, and then you have more guys than saying my my wife can't cook rice to save her life, you know, but it's perfectly fine. Yeah. I'm the one who does the housework, all good and fine. Yeah. I'm the one who changes the nappies, and you get more dads who are actually interested in being mm. the mothering parent yeah. between the two, and yeah. they enjoy it, and they're not yeah. afraid of it, and they, it doesn't emasculate them in any sense. Yeah. So this shift of watching what a female means. And the archetypes that you attach to those characteristics that you're meant to care, nurture, feed, clean, all of these labels disappear mm. with time. Mm. You are my equal, my counterpart, if mm. not maybe the better half of the species. Yeah. Right? Uh, this enablement from the younger generation, that, that's changing how women feel about themselves and where they place themselves. But do you think women can really <clears> have <throat> it all? Really? It's tough. Mm. I think you can't do it all without uh, enough support. So mm. you, I, I dodged a question you asked about why women don't get to the top and the mm. diversity. Mm. I almost don't have the right to answer the question and I'll tell you why. I'm not married with kids. Mm. If I was, then I think I've earned my right to talk about it. Mm. But I'm not. So yeah. I've simplified the equation somewhat for myself. By choice or not, it's a secondary yeah. issue. Yeah. But the point around it is I would go ask the, a female who's managed to get to the top and have the family and the kids and mm. all of that. Mm. Because I think that's an entirely different playing field. Yeah, absolutely. I've had my equation simplified. I've yeah. got one child and one love life, yeah. which is Ranstead, right? If <laughs> you think about it. Yeah, I'm married to the business, <laughs> yeah. for better or for worse. Yeah. The business is my child, right? Yeah, so yeah. It, it is. And you can say it's either mm. sad or a nice thing. It doesn't matter. Yeah. The label somebody else puts on it doesn't change it for me. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm just surprised with, especially with Singapore and, and Malaysia and Hong Kong to a certain extent, you you know, there is domestic help. There is mm. at least, you know, it's, it's very different from, say, the UK or the US where you've got to pay an arm yeah. and a, 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 a lot of money to be able to get a nanny at home, where yeah. here it's, it's, it's fairly reasonably yes. priced. So it sort of surprised me that, that, that women aren't necessarily um, being able to or wanting to want to take the kind of the, the big gig. Support is one thing, the resources mm. that you have. Second, again, I bring it back to um, the mindset of the people around you, what's expected, mm. uh, and also your own sort of internal stereotyping on what you think you are designed to achieve. Mm. Uh, I didn't grow up with a milk and cookies mum. Uh, she was the polar opposite. She taught me how to put nail polish on, put lipstick on and balance a checkbook. Right. Uh, she okay. couldn't cook. Uh, right. She wasn't the sort of person to be domesticated. Okay. My conversations with her on the weekend was about politics and art and and uh, all things gossipy and fashiony and this, that, and she the other. She sounds like this was a big. Your mum was a big oh, inspiration. God, yes. Yeah. Uh, but when I was a teenager, and her sister, my aunt, was the polar opposite. Uh, extremely domesticated. So right. we would go to her house for dinners. Right, and so you go there and, and eat. And, oh God, yeah, <laughs> totally. But it was a known thing. Yeah. It was understood. My mum would yeah. do the math tuition and my aunt would cook. Right. And it, it, they just played their roles very clearly, yeah. but they chose it for themselves. Yeah. That's what's more critical. On them. No, yeah. they chose it and they were very happy with what they are mm. or what they were. And um, But they got criticized and compared a lot between mm. themselves, but they would laugh about it. Mm. So when I was a teenager, I remember my mom asking me something and I think she must have been going through her own identity shifts as she was getting older. She just said to me, I'm sorry I'm not one of those mums that turns up for the competitions and fetches you after school and has your meal waiting when you get back yeah. and irons your uniforms and yeah. sits with you and knows what's going on with your homework and all that sort of yeah. stuff. And then I looked at her and I said, why? And she said, wouldn't you rather I be like this person and this person? And I went, no, yeah, absolutely not. I said, this is fun. Yeah. I, I like the way you are. Don't change it. Yeah. 
Uh, well, it's inspired you yeah, to do and, what you do. And in some sense, I then picked up things that she didn't do. You know, I covered mm. for some of the gaps that maybe mm. she expected of her role, but it didn't matter. Mm. I made that choice for myself. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think at the end of the day, what people expect of you. Now, mm. my dad never expected that of my mom. Yeah. He let her be. Yeah. He, he sort of allowed her to be that person. In fact, yeah. he said to her, this is who I want you to be. Yeah. Uh, and, and for you to be more involved in the commercial element of my life. They ran a business together. Right. Uh, okay. They managed their finances together. Right. Uh, and he was very open about the fact that she was his better half. Yeah. Uh, so I think if you have that sort of environment, then mm. she's allowed to be. Mm. But if the conversation were different, where she was told that, I don't want you competing with me. Mm. I don't want you making more money. Mm. I don't want you to tell me how to balance our checkbook. I expect yeah. you to send me your salary and I decide what we do for the family. <gasps> oh, gosh. That's the extreme on the other end, yeah. right? But yeah. somewhere but, in there, But, but it still it happens, I think, to a certain yeah. extent in some environments. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what I hear from... Yeah, what, sorry, I'm going to go back to another question. Mm. Um, what do you think are the most underrated or sort of unexpected skills you think leaders should have in the future? The uh, balance between corporate responsibility and humanity. Elaborate uh, that for me. Yeah, it's a it's a difficult one that I try and get right in my head all the time because mm -hmm. I grew up in the management life of Peter Drucker, all the, the yeah, 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 right. Yeah. So it's all the yeah. You know, and, and again, back to the professionalism thing, there's no concept of humanity. You're not allowed to be emotional. Mm -hmm. uh, you never make decisions around people. You make them, <laughs> you make them about, you know, structure and, mm. and org charts and this, mm. that and the other. And they are the worst, worst solutions in life. It appeals to no one. It solves no one's problems. Mm -hmm. No one buys into it. And mm. pardon my French, but it's what you call the corporate bullshit. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Yeah. yeah. And there's no space for it. The dinosaur. Yeah. And you hide working. behind it and you, you make bad decisions. Mm -hmm. uh, you make decisions inside a room when the door's closed. Mm. And then you cannot walk out to the open floor and talk about it. Mm. Because somewhere in there you've got to hide something. Mm. And then you try and mask it and you cover it up and yeah, so on. You're going to get no buy-in. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And because what you're trying to do is keep a shell intact more than what makes the shell alive. Mm. If you make decisions that were meant for humanity, whether at mm. a corporate level, whether at a tactical mm. level, operational, strategic, doesn't matter what name you call it. If you make decisions about people, for people, and you make it about them, you guarantee their influence, their buy-in, their mm -hmm. survival, mm -hmm. uh, and all the other stuff that we measure, attrition, <laughs> tenure, whatever, yeah. right? All of that comes with it. Let's say we've got a, a, a new female leader or even a... A, a male a leader mm. it doesn't matter which one and they were looking to go on the leadership path mm. um, what areas sh do you think they should be upskilling in you've mentioned obviously the the, the humanity side how would they yeah. go about for instance trying to upskill themselves in that area two things first of all sit in a room and get comfortable with someone crying mm. interesting right yeah it's a very powerful emotion it allows mm -hmm. for people to release what they're feeling and thinking mm -hmm. It allows for angst to come out. It allows for them to be vulnerable and mm -hmm. for you to allow them to be that way mm. and for the both of you to find power in it mm. because then you've addressed all the cobwebs in the room. The elephant in the room has been talked about mm. and you've come out of it. So you're done. You're done mm. dealing with the past and you mm. move forward. If you avoid that moment at all costs, then you are stuck in the past. Mm. You are carrying forward all your problems. You can't resolve it. You can't mm. get to it and you have zero trust. You have zero honesty. You have zero buy-in. Mm. because you still can't talk about what you need to talk about. Mm. 
right? Yeah. And usually when you get to that state, language doesn't do it anymore. You're just, you're, you're angry, you're upset, you're disappointed, you're mad, you're frustrated, you're all of yeah. those things put together. Yeah. And sometimes it's not about the act of crying, it's the, the, uh, for you to allow the person to go there. So some of the most powerful conversations is when the people who can't break down, break down. Mm. And you sit there next to them and you say, let it all out. Mm. Get a tissue box and say, I'm sorry you feel this way. Yeah, yeah. Let me fix it or let, let us fix it together. So really right? showing that empathetic side, yeah. increasing your EQ. Empathy sometimes is a difficult thing to do. You may not be able to yeah. feel something for somebody that you haven't been through. Yeah, as I right? say, you might have to fake it to make it. Yeah. 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 And in the first place, if you could, perhaps the other side won't be in that situation, right? Mm -hmm. So if you have a male manager who's dealing with a female uh, employee who's got three kids and going through a divorce mm. and having physical health problems, mm. he cannot have empathy for her. <laughs> no. He doesn't understand it. <laughs> doesn't understand what it is to wake up and be in her body every day in the yeah. morning. He's yeah. never going to. No. But can you allow her the luxury to, to, to be her and to say that it's going to be what it is? Mm. Allow her to cry and say, it's, it is what it is and said, oh, sorry, please don't cry on me. Go to HR. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. Or, or go to the bathroom and do this with your female colleagues. Yeah. Or let me call my wife. She'll have a conversation with you. Yeah. No, it, it, allow her to be her. Allow her to tell you what it is. Mm. Right? And build and, that trust. And yeah. vice versa. Yeah. Can a female leader allow a male who is struggling to feed his family of three and who feels that, you know, his, his security is threatened and he's not too sure if he's going to carry on in his career and he's upset that his peers got a promotion when they're not as good as him mm. and title and money does smash her mm. and he's all macho about it and he doesn't want to look weak in front of his peers. Mm. What are you going to do with that? Yeah. Right? Yeah. So it, it, it doesn't matter what you are. Allow the other side to be them. Let it come out. Would And I... And I totally and utterly agree with the the whole spending time and upskilling and learning how to be an empathetic and mm. empathetic leader. Where would someone go to find that information? You know, where would they source that upskilling? Of how to do yeah. it? I mean, just from your own experiences. Listen, I know you're doing it on the job, but if yeah. they didn't have the opportunity or the kind of organization that allows them to be able to, to grow as a leader, what Doesn't else matter. would they be doing outside of that? Just listen. Give the person an hour. Just listen. Don't talk. Shut up. Just listen to whatever they have to say. If you can really dispense thinking in your mind and, and you're completing their sentences and having foregone conclusions, you're just looking at them and listening. Mm. That is already a very powerful start. The next thing is everybody has humanity in them. Mm. Just exercise that, your own natural intelligence. Mm. Right? Yeah. Dispense the corporate talk. Mm -hmm. Dispense the protocol for a minute. Yeah. Just be somebody that they can go, at the end of the day, maybe I can't get what I need out of you or the organization can't accommodate me. But at least in the process, you respected me. Yeah. I felt like you listened, that yeah. you understood. Probably what, one of the hardest skills yeah. in the world. Exactly. Yeah. People yeah. take shortcuts to all these things. Mm. You can't. People need time. Just Jump. give it. Yeah, I think that's absolutely brilliant advice. Um, Jaya, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you today. Pleasure's thank you so thank, thank you. you so much. Good luck. Thank you. You've been listening to Talent Talk Asia podcast by The Career Establishment. To learn more about The Career Establishment, our people and our latest thinking, visit us at www.thecareerestablishment.com or find us on LinkedIn, Twitter and Facebook. 